don't worry about what everyone else is doing. If that's the concept that you believe in, like I said, if you do that and you believe in yourself and you support your partners and whoever you're doing with, then, then you'll get through it and you'll, you'll succeed. Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to someone who's been an important player in the Melbourne restaurant world for, I want to say, 30 years. Simon Denton uh, is owner of Izakaya Den in Russell Street in the city. He also, for a couple of decades, had a really crucial Melbourne restaurant site on the corner of Flinders Lane and Spring Street. He is also part of Denton Wine, and I am thrilled to welcome you, Simon, to the show today. Thanks, Danny. Nice to be speaking to you. When people ask you what you do, what do you say? Uh, I guess I say I'm a restaurateur. Or I work in restaurants. I tend not to like the, you know, sommelier, restaurateur, those sort of things. I just say I work in restaurants. <laughs> and how how is it working in restaurants at the moment? It's pretty challenging. It's it's been a pretty challenging couple of years. I mean, you said thirty years. It's it's been thirty been about thirty six years now. So it's a pretty long time and a pretty big part of obviously it's been my whole life really. And it certainly hasn't been this challenging in that whole time. I mean, there's been other times when there's been short, short challenges for for short periods, but um, this is certainly something different. Let's go back to the beginning. And, you know, when you started in restaurants, what was it that drew you in? Uh, well, I'd started as a teenager as, you know, a, a job after school sort of thing. And um, my parents were sort of involved with other restaurateurs. So I got a couple of jobs and I guess through high school, it was just that it was earning some extra money and sort of really enjoyed it. And when I came out of high school, I delved into it a little bit deeper and I guess I got hooked and I found that it was something that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the people, both the people I worked with and and customers. I mean, I was pretty shy back then and I guess it helped me, you know, become a different sort of person and I found that I was actually okay at it as well. Mm, so interesting. And, I mean, talk to me about the Japanese influence that's come into so many of your restaurants. Well, I mean, I have Japanese heritage, so the, my great grandmother was Japanese. So I guess that there's something in there that just comes out. Um, I was lucky enough to travel there as a teenager. My parents did work there. Um, we had a Japanese sculptor live with us for four or five years. He was a very close friend of my parents. So there's always been that strong influence. Um, obviously love the food, love the culture. So it just developed from there. And then, you know, obviously there was always Japanese people in my life and uh, one of my partners, Miyuki, I've known for sort of 35 years and the other partner, Taka, came and worked for me at Verge and it sort of just grew from there. Yeah, so interesting. I I think, you know, if if I think about that site that was initially Verge um, and then had so many other different iterations, you had the upstairs space, which was the fine dining for a while, and then the downstairs space, which was various things, including a noodle bar. I mean, I think it's been so interesting watching you as a restaurateur. It feels like as you've rethought your concepts and been so, I guess, free yet also very intentional with the space. It feels like you've been somehow, I don't know, pushing and tracking alongside, leading and somehow like, I don't know, finding the the zeitgeist in so many different ways. 
can you talk a bit about that, like the idea of, of a restaurant for a certain time and, and when, if, you know, the courage, I suppose, to change it when the concept doesn't feel right to you anymore? Yeah, well, whether it's courage or necessity, I mean, I think some of those changes were forced upon me and, and some were driven by me. So I think I think the important thing, and we do feel like when you open something that there isn't an end in a way with a restaurant. You know, you're only meant to open it once and then you close it and you go and do something else somewhere else. And I think that relates a little bit to the, the COVID thing at the moment. Um you know, I've been helping my friends down at Hero and we've opened and closed that four or five times in 12 months. And you're not really meant to do that in restaurants. Um, but for me, yeah, it, it's about, you know, knowing the time when you do need to change something, I guess, before it becomes stale or maybe you've lost passion for that particular concept or you lose someone very integral to that idea and that concept and you've got to make change. You're forced into change. So it's all those things. And I think uh, even Den at the moment is very different to what it was previously and that change was forced by COVID and it, in the end, it was a really positive thing because I think you can get stuck just doing the same thing and you're sort of cruising along and you don't make change. You're like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But actually, you do need to change and restaurants always need reinvigoration. Mm, yeah, well, that's really interesting. I mean, I'd love to dig a little bit into Verge because that was, you know, a really – a uh, well-respected, well-regarded fine dining restaurant in Melbourne. Can you talk about that one and, you know, what, why you brought change to, to, that, to that concept? Yeah, well, I guess I opened Verge just before I turned 30 and it was my first restaurant with my two partners at the time. And I guess it was just, it was everything to me at the time. I mean, that's all we focused on, you know, it's all encompassing and really was that for the 10, 11 years that I was there. I mean, um, you know, and we went through ups and downs and there were always challenges with that, with that site and with what we did and we made changes and we, we tried to keep it fresh. And I felt when we went out, we were at a really good point. I think we'd achieved what, as far as we could in that site with that concept. And it was time for a change before, before I sort of started not to enjoy it as much. Um, so, you know, it taught, Verge really taught me a lot. You know, I learned, was learning the whole time. And then, yeah, I guess it allowed me to blossom after that, after learning all those things. Mm. I mean, some of the food was, was really highly detailed. It was definitely of its time. It was, I mean, was there something about, did you feel just like you wanted to showcase a different style of cuisine? And I guess the, the following, was it he who that followed Verge or what came next? Yeah, so we, we followed it with the two concepts. We did Nama Nama, which was a, the handmade udon downstairs, so something very casual, which I guess, yeah, there was certainly some change in me over that period of time. So, you know, you, do, you don't want to do the same thing all the time. I don't want to do the same thing all the time. So, you know, I had these ideas. I wanted something more casual, more day-to-day. And then, you know, Hiho was a more formal sort of bar, and I guess that was – influenced by my trips, constant trips to Japan and the sort of bars that I went to there that I really enjoyed. So, I mean, any concept that I do, anything I open, it's really the first and foremost thing is it's somewhere I want to go and it's something that I really like because there's no way that I can convince other people, I think, unless you really want to do it. 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's so interesting thinking now about, you know, you when you were younger and you, you just threw everything at it. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have, your energy ebbs and flows as challenges come and, you know, as uh, age sometimes wearies us. Um, but tell us about, you know, where you feel like you're at in your career now and who you see sort of coming up behind you and put that in the context, the COVID context. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, you, you do get older. You, your priorities do shift. I mean, your your, your kids grow up. Uh, you know, your relationships change. All these things are happening around you, and restaurants are very all encompassing, and and they do suck you in and and take you out of all those things a lot. So I guess when you get a bit more established, and maybe you have a bit more of a consistency of lifestyle. You, you gravitate to those things like family and spending more time, I guess, out of the restaurant. And I guess that's, you feel like that's the reward for putting all that hard work in and, and your experience and all those things. And I guess, you know, COVID has really pulled us all back in and I'm talk, not talking about just me, but I guess my generation, all the, the people who I know who are in restaurants who were maybe going through that stage where they were able to step back a little bit you know, they're back on the floor, lunch and dinner, doing as much as they possibly can to help their restaurant survive. Yeah, that's so true. It's, um, yeah, I've really, really noticed that. I mean, in, in a way, it's great to see the people that, you know, are behind the businesses when you go in into them. So, uh, and, you know, when you're in a business, I'm sure you see things that, you know, you're glad you've seen or you notice you're able to make changes that perhaps, you know, would have taken longer or you might not have, yeah, you might not have seen the necessity for them. But, I mean, what does it feel like to be in that position? I think there's there's positives like you just said. Like you do see that stuff. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed at my time at Hero in the last 12 months is sort of training some young people, I mean, from a pretty – I don't mean like a low base, like not a lot of experience. Um, You know, that was really challenging, but also really enjoyable. And I mean, we are good at, the reason we got there in the first place is we are pretty good at doing those things and being on the floor. I mean, that was our strengths, you know, in the past. So it's a bit like riding a bike. Once you get back in there, you know, you just slot back into it. You maybe don't last as long each shift because the legs aren't quite as uh, young as they used to be. But I think you also have different experience. So you, you visually see different things. And, and I think that's, that, you know, that's one of the positives. One of the hard things is that, you know, you do have to sacrifice those other lifestyle things that maybe you built around you. Mm, and what, I mean, what do you think about this time? You know, let's say for someone who's, you know, in their early 20s or, you know, thinking about, oh, well, maybe this, there are some opportunities out there with, with rents and, you know, discussions with landlords perhaps this is a time to to do my own thing like I mean do you see a lot of opportunity for people who have that energy to throw at things absolutely and I think these sort of events I mean we haven't really had this sort of event but big change in society upheaval those sort of things they generally lead to a lot of creativity which is really exciting so I'm actually excited to see what happens in the next few years and I think yeah if you're in your 20s, early 30s, want to open your first business, there is a lot of opportunity there. You've got – and at that age, you really have the energy to devote to it and put it in, and which is what you really need at the moment. I mean, even through the COVID period where 
everyone was having to pivot and change. I mean, the creative creativity was amazing, and it was I was, you know, it made me feel really proud to be part of an industry that could do that and could move so swiftly and and could survive. I mean, obviously we've lost some, but you know, most of us have managed to survive. I mean, the government helped, which is amazing, but now we're going into a different stage. And the next, you know, twelve months, you know, it's really uncertain. Yeah, it's just it still surprises me that it's so uncertain after all this time. <laughs> we thought we were just, you know. Yeah, I think it's it's more uncertain right now. Yeah, well, tell me how you're feeling about you know the, where we sit right now. Yeah, like talking to you know my friend Michael, who I work with in Hero, we had a long discussion the other day, and it's really like we're in this you know rut at the moment with with sort of the self-imposed lockdowns, and we look what, at the future. What's going to we may maybe we'll get another two or three months that's going to be good once sort of late February March, but then what's going to happen in winter? I mean, we don't have the confidence to project more than you know a month ahead at the moment. And it's really it's really difficult to know where we're going to go. We oscillate from periods last year where we were so busy with no staff to a period now where we're having to lay staff off and reduce their hours. But we could be back in a position in three weeks where we're really busy again and we don't have enough staff. So it's just a constant challenge and everyone's going through it. We're not special. Um, everyone's got different challenges. But it just must be, yes, yeah, so destabilizing to think that you can't plan more than a couple of weeks out and indeed perhaps sometimes a couple of weeks probably seems like you know a long time a really you know distant timeline the way that things change so quickly but what are these sort of practical implications for a restaurant when you can't look further forward well it's i guess the biggest one is staff i mean it, restaurants bars hospitality staff they're, they're your number one asset I mean, we can all build a lovely venue. We can, we can, you know, buy nice produce, but without staff front and back, you can't produce the product to that level. So trying to manage that, obviously we want to look after our staff. You know, that's what we do. That's how you maintain good staff, but we can't give them any surety either. I mean, even just writing a roster, you know, whereas you might be able to plan and do a two weeks ahead and give people notice and so they can plan their life, you know, you're scrambling to put a roster together on a Monday for the week ahead because you're still you're looking at bookings and you're trying to work out what's actually going to happen. So we've just got to keep rolling with it. And I guess the thing we keep saying to each other and to our staff is we've just got to support each other. You know, we've got to try and understand each of our situations and, and get through it and we will get through it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just think about you know the, the restaurant hero Karen Martini and Michael Sapunza's restaurant at Federation Square that you're yeah helping them out with, as you say, and just think about. I mean, Michael is so amazing front of house as well, and just think about those young people that you're bringing through and all the incredible uh, learning that they're able to get from you guys, but then for you also not to be able to, you know, lay out before them this sort of glittering hospitality pathway, it must be really heartbreaking. It is. And I mean, we, it was a real challenge, um, last year, we sort of, you know, from February through, uh, you know, to train them and get to the point. And, and before the, that last major lockdown late last year, we, we finally reached that point where they were trained to a point where, you know, they were really effective and starting to understand what we were about. 
and then suddenly we're in lockdown again for two or three months. We reopened November and you sort of got to start again and build them again and, and then we're back in this spot again. It is really hard to encourage them and show them a, a path and, and how good it can be and because you're always battling, you know, and, you know, you want to do wine training, you want to teach them more, but you're just going through this up and down all the time. Let's talk about Den. Um, I remember when it opened, how exciting it was for Melbourne, this hidden basement restaurant, a real slice of Japanese culture in Melbourne. And as you say, it's, you know, it's, it's changed. Can you talk about how that restaurant started and how you refashioned it? Well, yeah, Izakai, again, Izakai Den is basically the place I want to go. And, and Miyuki and Tucker, my business partners, and we sat around going, why Melbourne's such a great food city? There's a, there is a strong Japanese culture here, but really the place, too many of the places were not like you'd find in Japan. Um, they, they were too conservative. It's, it's like when sometimes when people move away from, they, they think, um, you know, when they emigrate, people won't understand the real Japan or the real food or real ideas. So I think that was our, our aim was to create something that was, you know, something we would find in Tokyo, but also very much a Melbourne place. And that was, that was a real key factor that, you know, we couldn't pretend we're in Tokyo. We've got to be, we're in Melbourne, but we're trying to channel those things. So, you know, it was, it was really casual, amazingly busy, um, you know, come and go, and, and really that's what an izakaya is about. It's about, you know, having fun and having good food and good drinks and, and with good people. So that's what we drove for a long time. And I guess once COVID hit, we were forced into change for a number of reasons. I mean, the majority of our staff were always Japanese, and that was one of the things that we felt very strongly about. But unfortunately, once COVID hit, they all went back home. Um, they were encouraged to go home if they were a student or on a working holiday. And essentially, we lost all our staff. So once uh, once we were able to reopen again, and we were actually closed for eight months as we went through that COVID period in 2020, and also just trying to plan how we would reopen and what we would do. So essentially, we had to make a complete change to the concept in a lot of ways. So it became more formal. It became a set menu. It became prepaid, and these are all driven by the market. So we knew we couldn't have as many people. So how are we going to reach that revenue that's going to be able to cover our rent and all our outgoings and our staff and everything? So we changed the concept, but I guess what we really wanted to do was keep that spirit of Izakaya. So while it is a bit more formal and maybe not quite as crowded, there is still a real spirit of Izakaya which underlines everything that we do. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, I mean, how devastating for all your staff to leave like that. Just you just must have felt bereft and so I guess powerless that you, yeah that uh, such an awful period for um, the way Australia treated our internationals at that time. Um, but then I suppose on the other hand that the izakaya food would have been pretty challenging to um, pivot to takeaway. Um, but yeah, to have that those premises closed for eight months. I mean, how absolutely weird that must have been. It was pretty, yeah, it was. Like you walk in there and it's just, it's like, yeah, just so empty. And you feel empty when you walk in there because it's a place that's, you know, lives off people. 
people being there and it's in a basement so you're hidden away so it needs the energy of people and yeah it was it was hard it was very hard but it did give us the time and I guess like I said right at the start sometimes change is forced and this was forced upon us and we probably wouldn't have made this sort of change without that being forced on us and I think and we renamed it Izakaya Den 2029 because we just went, look, we, we want to do another 10 years. We're not, we're not here just to make up time. So this is a new concept and this is where we're going and we're going to be around for another 10. Yeah, I love it. Um, and Jared de Blasi, who was the chef at Izard, which closed, came on to work with this new concept for you. And I mean, uh, Obviously, we're in another challenging period, but how do you think that new concept is going? Look, Jared's been amazing, and with with his uh, sous chef Paul Martini, the two boys have just been awesome. Uh, Jared worked; he was a sous chef for me at Verge, so we have a long history, um, and we've always stayed pretty close. Jared is probably was probably our number one Izakaya Den customer. He would probably come every week. So, you know, he really, so, you know, there was when the time came and Ezard was maybe going, you know, I, we started to chat about it and, you know, I guess that's why we were close for eight months because I was looking for the next step and then that sort of opportunity came up and, you know, we've always loved working together. You know, he has a great relationship with my partners, Tucker and Miyuki, and he loves Japanese food. And he was willing to – he wanted. He needed some change for himself, but he was also willing to not necessarily do the sort of food he was doing before, take take his skills and the detail, but to try and, you know, do something very Japanese, very simple. You know, I kept saying to him, no more than three, you know, elements on the plate. You know, we've got to keep it simple. And he's really grasped that and really taken it a long way forward and further forward than I – could have imagined and throughout the you know time that we've reopened the times that we've been able to be reopened we've really built some momentum each time and that's one of the other things that's really challenging is each time you build momentum and then there's this shift again and you've got to start again so we've been open since december 2020 so 14 months but we've actually only traded for seven so it still feels like a really fresh concept to us and hopefully to other people. So we, we still feel like there's a lot for it to, a lot of places for it to grow and still a lot of people that, that haven't experienced it, so it probably should. Yeah, definitely. Well, I came in early um, in the reopening and as we're talking about it, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to come back. I think it's so interesting to watch a chef like Jared who was at Izad. The food was, you know, very often very complex. You know, there's a lot of ingredients on some plates and it's just so interesting to think about the, that simpler food that he's doing um, at Den and to think of that simplicity as, a, I guess, you know, the progression, like the next step, like that stripping back, which I think we are seeing so much with um, chefs as they develop at the moment. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to do simple. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's the word is simple, but to do something simply, simply and really effectively with lots of flavour is very difficult. And 
the reality, Jared and Paul put uh, so much detail behind the scenes into making that one piece of fish or those carrots or those tomatoes taste amazing. So they, they give the produce every chance without doing too much to it. Um, and, you know, and keeping it very Japanese, which is always what we've wanted. Yeah, actually, as you say tomatoes, I remember that tomato dish. Can you tell me about it? The tomato dish, I'm trying to think now. Oh, just a little cherry, little um, baby tomato salad with the yuzu. Yeah, like how simple. I mean, when I go to Japan, I always you always think about things like tonkatsu and um, sushi and um, all these other amazing things. But whenever I leave, I always come back thinking about vegetables. And, you know, the seasonality in Japan, which is such a natural thing. And Jared and Paul and I spend a lot of time talking about these things and the seasonality and trying to be true to it because I think we're getting better at it here, but it's too easy to be lazy and to, to get things all year round. Whereas in Japan, you go there, if you're there in summer, you get sanma fish and you'll, you'll see it everywhere. Every single place you go to is sanma, but it's only there for six weeks. And then you move on to the next thing. You know, in autumn, there's mushrooms, there's matsutake. And again, it's a, it's six weeks. And, you you know, you can know by the food that's in front of you what season it is, even if you're not outside. Yeah, it's a real rolling celebration and reverence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, that you know, the tomatoes, that's what that was all about. You know, the tomatoes are amazing at the time. So let's just present them really simply and enjoy them for what they are. Mm. Simon, let's talk a bit about the wine side of your life. Can you tell us about the vineyard and, um, yeah, what part that plays for you? So a bit more more and more as time goes on, and I guess one of the things I've been trying to do is give myself more time to spend there, less time in the restaurants. Um, you know, there's there's been there's challenges with COVID with that as well. You know, we've had the vineyard 20 years now, and I, I sort of say we're 20 years young. Because, you know, you go through – it's a super long-term project and, you know, you go, you make mistakes and you go through stages and I just feel we've got everything really in place at the moment in terms of the vineyard. We're moving towards organic viticulture, doing a lot of undivine cultivation, you know, no chemicals through to the branding and all those things. So it's it's a really exciting time. Um, you know, the, the idea when I closed Spring Street – I had Denton Wine Bar there was that we would move it up to the vineyard and open it up there. But COVID sort of put paid to that at the moment. And I guess we're, we're just in a bit of a holding pattern and just, I guess, really want to see what happens before we make that next step. Because as I said earlier, like it's got to be something that I really want to do, um, that I really like and am able to put all the energy into. Mm, yeah. What What do you like about making wine? Oh look, I mean, I've, I've in restaurants. I've always been involved in wine. I mean, I remember being trained by the wine waiter at the botanical when I was like eighteen, and that was sort of I'd already already been drinking wine with my dad, and I just took it on from there. So to become a producer is pretty exciting, and I'm I'm amazingly fortunate that my dad being able to to set up this vineyard. Um, you know, it is that primary producer feeling. You know, you're producing something from the land. And I guess part of the idea of moving to organics and, and better cultivation and no chemicals is that it's a family business. You know, I'm going to hand it down to my kids who hopefully hand it down. So I want to 
to be able to hand down something really healthy and and really sustainable. And those things are really important to me at the moment. Mm, that's, yeah, really beautiful. Um, so, Simon, you've said, you know, we're going to get through this. You're going to prevail uh, no matter what. Um, what would you say to people who are feeling really uh, deflated by, you know, the, the punches that they've had to roll with? Look, I mean, I've personally, I've struggled in the last couple of years. You know, I've had some pretty down times and I think there's a lot of people out there that are struggling mentally with some mental health. And I, that's, I guess, like I said earlier, within your own environment, your own support group, your, the people who work with you, you know, reach out, support each other. You know, we will get through it. Um, or reach out to some, you know, I've chatted, I chat to all the, the other owners that I know. And a lot of them are very good friends and, you know, just talking it out helps, you know, we've got to support each other. I mean, I probably only go to my friend's restaurants at the moment because I really want to just support them, those sort of things, but it, it will end and we will get past them. We'll probably forget very quickly, but um, when that end is, is still really uncertain. Mm. And to someone who's taking on their first business or thinking about it, what's something that you could say to them? What's a little mantra or piece of advice or thing you wish you knew? Look, I think you've just got to believe in what you do. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. If that's the concept that you believe in, like I said, I do mine. It's a place that I want to go to. If you do that and you believe in yourself and you support your partners and whoever you're doing with, then, then you'll get through it and you'll, you'll succeed. There's always going to be challenges. And I guess when those challenges hit you, and I've had plenty in the past, you know, especially when I guess when you're building your restaurant, there's always something that goes wrong, something that costs a hell of a lot more than you, you thought it was. Take a breath, go for a walk, sleep on it. You'll find the next day you can deal with it. You can look at it a bit more clearly and you'll find you'll get past it. Oh, I love it. So good. Such wise words. Um, Simon, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, I think we've we've covered most things. I just, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, putting it out there to everyone in the industry that we're all here for each other. So, you know, if someone, someone young like we've been talking about starting their own place, you can reach out to me. We can have a chat. I'm always happy to do that. That is so generous. Um, really appreciate that. That'll mean That'll mean a lot to people, even if they never need to get in touch with you, just to know that um, that you'd be willing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing the stories, the yeah, the hard won lessons with us today, Simon. Um, really important chat, and really grateful for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Danny. Lovely talking to you. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is...